verses 11 through 20. So I went to Jerusalem, and I was there for three days. Then I rose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one which I rode on. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down, and its gates had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite servant, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right to claim in Jerusalem. Let us pray. Father God, we just thank you um, for this morning and for this church family. We thank you for your word. Um, I pray that uh, we would have the uh, obedience and the faithfulness of uh, Nehemiah. I pray you'll be with Brad this morning as he proclaims your word. I pray that uh, your word will pierce our hearts, uh, that we will, um, it will be rooted in our hearts, that it will spur action in our lives. Let's call these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, as we continue to look at Nehemiah, we're going to learn something about wisdom and the wisdom to do the work which the Lord has given us to do by way of example through the work that God had given Nehemiah to do. Nehemiah was not only the answer to his own prayer to help the people of the Lord, but he was also uniquely prepared for the Lord, by the Lord for the work which God sent him to do for the task that he was about to undertake. And the purpose of this book, as I've said before, and, and the only reason I keep saying this is because every time I hear somebody preaching on this book, it seems that they're talking about the fact that they are rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem. But that is not what this book is about. The book is about rebuilding the people of God. And the wall is just something that he uses in order to bring the people together. After all, Israel does not need a wall to protect them. The Lord their God is their protection. Nehemiah's wisdom in rebuilding the wall and how to work when many people are trying to discourage you from the work are very important lessons. And the tactics which the enemies of God use against the people of God are also the same sorts of things that happen to us today. And we have to remember that the people of Israel were a humiliated, defeated, and subjugated people. 
but they were not abandoned by God. That is the point of the book. The Lord comes to their rescue, slowly but surely. And his agent for rescue at this time is a man named Nehemiah the cupbearer. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king, Xerxes. The first thing I want to point out to you today about what Nehemiah does as he goes about the wall so wisely to rebuild the people of Jerusalem is that he is patient. A wise leader is patient. And every single one of you are leaders. So don't think that I'm just talking to the elders or something like that. You are leaders in your home. You are leaders in the community. You can be a leader at work. You show people the way to Christ. It is your calling. You are kings and queens. You are children of the kingdom, and so you are by default leaders. You may not feel like it, but you are, and you are leading people, probably more people than you know. You're influencing more people than you know in directions that you might not even be aware of. So if you want to be a wise leader, pay attention like Nehemiah. Pay attention to what Nehemiah does, rather. I want to ask you a question about the text. The Bible is very specific. It says that Nehemiah waited three days before he did anything. He waited three days before he even toured the city of Jerusalem. And after three days, he made his tour of Jerusalem in the dark. And the only animal he carried with him, he specifically points out, was the one that he rode. And he only took with him a few men. Why do you think he did this? And why do you think the Bible records this? Why is this an important detail that needs to be put in God's holy word? What is the point of telling us that he waited three days to go, that he didn't tell anyone, that he took only one animal, and that he went at night? Why do you think these details are there? I'm asking you to think about it. Why would this be here? Nehemiah was wise to remember his ultimate goal. If you want to know what that goal is, I've already mentioned it once, but you need to remember his prayer in chapter 1. His prayer in chapter 1 had nothing to do with the walls of Jerusalem. His prayer in chapter 1 had to do with confessing the sin of himself and the people of Israel and the hope that God would restore them, that he would bring them back together from all over the earth. Nehemiah knew what his goal was. Nehemiah's ultimate goal, as I said, was not to rebuild the wall. It was to rebuild the people. So this is one reason why Nehemiah waited. Because his ultimate purpose was not the rebuilding of the wall, but the people. So he took three days to get to know everyone. He took three days to sort of assess the situation because without the support of the people, not one single stone was going to be put in that wall. And so Nehemiah waited. And he didn't tell anybody what he was going to do. He wanted to get to know the situation. He wanted to get to know the people. And he didn't want to just show up and start giving orders as if his orders were coming from King Artaxerxes and not himself. Notice later that he says that it was the Lord who sent him, that the good hand of God was upon him, and that the king spoke kindly to him because of what the Lord was doing through him. He does not say, I've come on behalf of King Artaxerxes to rebuild this wall. But God is moving us to rebuild this city and this people. That was the purpose for which Nehemiah came. And so he came to assess the situation, I believe. He came to see what was going on with the people. And he did not share all of his plans. So the first thing that Nehemiah did as a wise leader is he remembered first that without the help of the people, nothing would get done. And that a wise leader does not always share all of his plans. And I want to explain that for a bit. It says here that he didn't tell any of the officials, any of the Jews, no one in Jerusalem what he had come for. 
He just showed up, hung out for three days, took a tour at night with only a few people, probably folks who could guide him around because he needed to know where the dung gate was. <laughs> that was my, one of my favorite things today. I thought, I can't wait to hear Jake say that Nehemiah went and inspected the dung gate. That was a very creative guy who named that particular gate. Anyway, let your imagination run wild with what they used that gate for, but they didn't have underground plumbing in those days, and that stuff had to get out somewhere, and that was the gate through which it went. I'm not saying that wise leadership ought to be secretive in a bad way or that they need to keep secrets from the people. But what I think we are being taught is that sometimes when you are in leadership, you cannot always share everything at once and you cannot share all your purposes at once. And every parent knows this. Every person knows this. How many people, while parenting their children, you tell them not to do something and they say, why? Why can't I do this? Well, sometimes you just don't feel like explaining yourself because after all, you're the absolute potentate in your house. You are the mom and dad. You don't have to explain yourself to your children, so you may not have time. But sometimes you don't want to tell them why. You don't want to tell them why because you're trying to shield them from some of the horrors of the world. When you say, hey, I don't want you to be by yourself with this person. If they come here, you come to me. And they say, why? You just say, just do as I tell you, okay? Because you don't want to tell them why and what your fears are in in this regard. You don't want to tell them of the horrors that might be out in the world around them. You can't share all of your purpose. Sometimes you just have to tell them what they need to know. You cannot always share everything at once because people are not always ready to hear the full vision at once because they 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 haven't had time to process things like you have when you're in leadership. Think about how our Lord Jesus himself modeled this, how our God models this. We have an entire Old Testament hinting at the time in which Jesus was coming, and yet it was not given specifically how or when he would come. It was only sort of not vague, but enough to know that when Jesus came, who he was. So the people weren't given a precise date like December 25th, the year one, Jesus is going to show up in Bethlehem, born of Mary and Joseph, which is exactly what happened, and God knew that was going to happen, but he did not reveal this entirety, or in this case, that specific of a thing. And as Jesus was going about his ministry, did he tell the disciples from the beginning that his entire point was to go to Jerusalem and be crucified for sins? Did he reveal the entirety of his plan from the beginning? And what do you think would have happened to the disciples if Jesus had shared that plan from the beginning? What happened when he did share the plan after they had been with him for several years? What did Peter say when Jesus said, after he asked him, who do men say that I am, right? Who do do y'all say that I am? It's plural. Who do y'all say that I am? And Peter spoke up and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, right? Peter gets it. He's been with him long enough. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, oh, yes. You are blessed, Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Amen. And then he said, and the Son of Man must now go to Jerusalem and suffer many things, be handed over to evil men and be crucified. And what did Peter say in reaction to Jesus finally sharing the plan with him? This will never happen to you. God forbid. He did not understand the plan. Jesus had to rebuke him and call him Satan. Get behind me, Satan, for you have on your mind the things of men and not the things of God. Jesus could not share everything with the disciples 
He could not. And in fact, even on the day that he ascended into heaven after his crucifixion, he said, there are many things which I wish to tell you now, but you cannot bear them. He could not tell them everything. Nehemiah could not share everything about the plan. Nehemiah probably went at night to do his own assessment. Maybe he didn't know who he could trust yet. He knew he was going to face opposition from those who were around nearby. He knew that Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem were around. He knew that Israel had historic enemies. And he didn't know who in the court might be loyal to the Lord's people and who might be just power hungry and might be spies for the opposition. Maybe he didn't want anyone talking negatively and ruining his own courage. After all, you have to remember that Nehemiah was working with a defeated people. And if he had come into town saying, we're going to rebuild these walls, he knew that there were going to be people who would say, we can't do it. It won't happen. It's too expensive. There's not enough people to do the work. Or worse yet, what good would it do? These were people who had been defeated. And sometimes a defeated person will squash hope because they can't stand the feeling of hope anymore. It's too much disappointment and too many failures, too much to risk their heart to hope again. Some people live in a place where it has been long since they've had any sort of hope. And it is a heart crusher. And Nehemiah knew this. And if he shared with them a hope, he was afraid that those who had begun to give over to despair might crush the hope of others. So he waited until night time to go and see for himself how bad the damage was so that no one would exaggerate it to him or no one would make it seem like less than it was. He knew the challenges that lay before him, but he also knew that the Lord was with him. And when he took assessment of everything, when he had gathered all the intelligence for himself, when he knew what was right, when he had been there long enough for people to know that he wasn't just there to boss them around, he said, hey, the Lord God has sent me here. He has taken notice of his people. He has given me sight in the favor of King Artaxerxes. And he has given me such favor in the sight of King Artaxerxes that the king has sent me here to rebuild this city. He has given me letters for lumber for the gates. He has given me letters so that I might quarry stone to rebuild these walls. He has given letters to be given to all those around that we, the people of Israel, are allowed to rebuild this wall. God has done this. Let us rebuild The wall. And the people said, let's do it. And the Bible says that their hands were strengthened for the task. As if before they did not have the strength to do it. They were defeated. They were humiliated. They felt like the task was too much for them. And they needed someone like Nehemiah, whom God had worked through and through God, who God had prepared to help them with the task at hand. A wise leader is patient. And a wise leader does not always share all the plans because they simply can't. Look at the reaction to Nehemiah's story after he had laid out all the other things that God had done through him when he was able to tell what the Lord had done through him. He didn't give time for people to have negative reactions. He didn't give time for despair. He gave an encouraging story and the people said, let's rebuild. Their hands were strengthened to do the work. It is hard work building a people. It is not so hard to rebuild a wall, but it is hard to repair the hearts of broken people. And that is what Nehemiah had to do first. 
First, the people had to be strengthened for the task. And then there is nothing that they could not accomplish. Did not the Lord himself say this, even in a bad way? When the Tower of Babel will be built, when they said, Come, let us build us a tower up to heaven. And the Lord said, This thing that they begin to do, now nothing will be withheld from them, for the people are one. Nehemiah was rebuilding a people, not a wall. The thing that needed to be repaired were the hearts of the people of Jerusalem. And when the hearts of the people were stout, the walls could be built. And if their hearts were not stout, they would fail at their task. And Nehemiah's primary goal was to help the people see that they could do this thing. That would have seemed impossible and that would have been scoffed at and would have been put away had he not gone about it in a wise way. And then you need to see that a wise leader knows how to deal with opposition because he knew it was coming. Samballot, Tobias, and Geshem. He knew that these historic enemies of Israel would not be pleased whatsoever to see that these walls were going to be rebuilt. And I said last week that this opposition, those who oppose the people of God and those who oppose God himself will find no satisfaction in any compromise whatsoever. They are not trying to help, even when they sound helpful. They are not trying to help when they offer to him compromise. They are only trying to stop the progress of the people of God. That is their goal. And however they can do it, they say they can't completely stop it. They will try to at least partially stop it. And I want you to observe the tactics which these people try against God's people. On verse 19, it says, When Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about this, that is the rebuilding of Jerusalem, they mocked and despised us. That was their first reaction, was mockery and to despise them and to deride them. And they said, What is this you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? They tried to insinuate that the people are rebelling against King Artaxerxes and they knew that Israel was a vulnerable people who had been defeated and crushed and had no city gates and no city walls. They felt that vulnerability keenly. The people felt defeated. They were defeated. They were subjugated. And so the strategy of Tobias and Sanballat and Geshem was to plant this seed of doubt into the minds of the people that if you rebuild this wall, then King Artaxerxes is just going to come back again and destroy it and tear it down. You are in rebellion against the king, and therefore you will be in trouble when you begin to do this. They knew this was a lie because they also received letters from Nehemiah, from King Artaxerxes himself, that there was supposed to be no hindering of the progress of the rebuilding of Jerusalem. They knew that he was not in rebellion against the king, for it was the king himself who had sanctioned his being there. So what is their strategy if they know the king has given these letters? Well, they knew that not everybody in Jerusalem would know what they knew. Not everyone saw a copy of this letter. Not everyone had heard. And they were just trying to sow confusion and fear into the hearts of the people. Anything to keep them from doing the work. They mocked them. You can't do this. This wall's been down for a hundred years. Later on they'll say, even if a fox climbs on it, it'll fall down. It's not like it can actually protect you. After all, you're rebuilding this wall just because you're going to rebel against King Artaxerxes for you've always been a rebellious people and it's always failed. 
Again and again, the enemy comes and tells us we cannot do this thing which God has called us to do. It will fail. Nothing changes. The world's going to pot. It doesn't make any difference what you do. It doesn't matter how you live. You've been doing this for years. What difference do you see in your life, in the lives of others? Nothing has been accomplished. You labor in vain. Even this which you've put together, this box runs up on it, it's going to fall apart. Any minute, anything that you've done of any good is just going to turn to dust and ash before your very eyes. This is the lie that the enemy's been saying from the beginning and still say it today. They make themselves, they put themselves up like toad frogs. You ever seen that? <laughs> I said toad frog because I knew everybody would listen to me after I said that. You ever seen a frog who puffs himself up? that's the way the enemy does. Try to look bigger, sound better than they really are. As if they can stop the progress of the kingdom of God. The only way to stop the forward progress of the kingdom of God is to break the hearts of God's people. Nehemiah had to deal with neighbors who were trying to discourage the work. And what did he say? How did he respond to their accusation of rebellion? I mean, you don't have to have a big imagination to imagine that rebelling against the most powerful king in the world would be a bad thing and could stop the work immediately. What did they say? Here is what Nehemiah says in verse 20. The God of heaven is the one who will grant us success. We, his servants, will start building. But you have no share, no right, no historic claim in Jerusalem. Nehemiah did not even answer the charges of whether or not they are rebelling. There is no reason for him to address that. He doesn't get sucked into a side argument about, hey, I've got letters from King Artaxerxes, and it sa- he says here that we are allowed to do this. He doesn't have to justify his mission to them. They're not on his side. They're not going to be on his side. He tells them simply what they are going to do. He does not answer the charge of rebellion. He doesn't even mention it in his letter. And he lets them know exactly whom they are serving, that it is not King Artaxerxes that they are serving, but they are serving the God of heaven. He doesn't say King Artaxerxes is the one who will grant us success. After all, he's given us letters. He says, it is the God of heaven who will give us success. We work for the God of heaven. And that's who King Artaxerxes works for whether he knows it or not. Did not Jesus say the same thing to Pontius Pilate? Pontius Pilate says, do you not understand, he says to Jesus, do you not understand that I have the power of life and death over you? I can crucify you, I can let you go. Do you not understand this? You won't answer a word of what's being spoken? And what did Jesus say to him? You don't have any power except what was given to you by my Father. Every single king, every single person on the face of the earth is under the sovereign rule of Almighty God. And Nehemiah knew that. The God of heaven will grant us success. We, his servants, not servants of Artaxerxes. He didn't say, hey, we are great servants of King Artaxerxes. He didn't have to justify himself. He said, we, the servants of the God of heaven, will work. And the God of heaven will grant us success. They are serving 
God, and he does not mention Artaxerxes. Why would he? Nehemiah knew more about King Artaxerxes than Sanballat and Tobias and Geshem ever thought about knowing. Nehemiah was his cupbearer. He ate and drank in the king's presence. He was there when the king said, Go and rebuild the temple of your people. Go and rebuild its walls. Go and rebuild its gates. Rebuild the city where your fathers are buried. He spoke to the king face to face. The king knew who Nehemiah is. He knew him as a trusted cupbearer. He did not have to waste his time saying why he was there and what they were doing. It was Artaxerxes who gave him the letters, and the opposition knew it. They were just trying to cause problems. Nehemiah wasn't having it, and he wasn't going to play their games. And he said, we are working for the God of heaven, and you have no right, no share, no claim in this city. This is the city of the people of God. You have no claim here. It's none of your business what happens in Jerusalem. Mind your own business. In a greater way, that is exactly how it is in the kingdom of God. We are so often derailed and distracted by the things of the world and the accusations which the people of the world make against the Lord's church. We are so busy trying to impose our will into the world that sometimes the will of the world invades into the church. We are not here to rule the world. Not now. We are here to live in the kingdom of God and share the good news of Jesus Christ with others that that they might be saved. This is the mission of the church. We are distracted in a hundred different ways when we think that our loyalties lie with king and country and not with God Almighty and his kingdom. It is a distraction. And we start having the arguments with them that don't matter. The king is coming. He, we have been given a mandate from heaven to build his city in this world. And that his city, his kingdom will go into every tongue and tribe and nation for those who believe that the Son of God is risen from the dead, that he is incarnate in human flesh, that he lived a perfect life, and whoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. This is the commission and the work of the church. We are to be concerned with justice and mercy, but judgment starts in the house of God. And if it starts in the house of God, how do those outside hope to survive? It reminds me this time when they say, what are you doing? Rebelling against the king as if they can question the authority of Nehemiah where it came from. For his commission came from God and not Artaxerxes. Jesus himself was placed on trial like this. Remember when Jesus dumped out the money changers' stuff and ran them out with a whip of cords? And the, the leadership come into the temple and said, By what authority do you do these things? Who told you you could come do this stuff? And how did Jesus answer? Could have said, My father. Could have said, I'm the Messiah. He could have said, Actually, this is my house. Who said you could come in here? Instead, he said... I'll answer that, but I want you to answer me a question first. By what authority did John the Baptist baptize? And they had a little huddle, and they said, Look, if we say it came from heaven, he's going to say, Well, why didn't y'all get baptized? But if we say it came from man, the people regard John the Baptist as a prophet, and they might stone us. So let's just tell them we don't know. (laughs) (laughs) And they say, well, we don't know where John's authority came from. Jesus said, well, I'm not going to tell you where my authority comes from either. 
Because Jesus knew they weren't really interested in where his authority came from. They were just playing games. They were trying to discredit him in any way that they could. I once, I remember very well, there, I was a, in college and this person was preaching in free speech corner. I think every college has a free speech corner. And this guy was preaching. Some people were making fun of him and some people were listening and some people were just doing whatever they were doing. And as the guy was preaching, some people were heckling him. And one of them said, Jesus is not born of the lineage of David in the middle of his sermon. He just kept saying that. Jesus, even the lineages are messed up and contradictory. And the guy stopped and he said, I tell you what, if I can prove to you from this scripture that Jesus is born of the lineage of David, will you become a Christian today? And the guy just sort of looked at him and he said, that's what I thought. And he just kept on preaching. See, his objection was not really that Jesus did not come from the lineage of David. His objection was, I do not want Jesus to be my king. All these other things were just excuses to derail the man from preaching the word, the thing which he did not want to hear. That is this, there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved, Jesus Christ the Lord. That was the purpose of the church. That is the message of the church. Nehemiah knew how to deal with opposition because he didn't let the opposition set his agenda. He didn't let the opposition distract him from his mission. And he let the opposition know that he was working for the Lord of heaven. And as long as they're not working for the Lord of heaven, they have no share, no right, and nothing to say about the work which the people of God are doing. If we go out from this place here and preach this gospel, that there is no other way to heaven except through Jesus Christ the Lord. It's funny, I was thinking today, as we were saying, it just hit me, that I think it was yesterday, I w- we were about to walk out the door and a truck pulled up and there were three guys in a suit in the truck and I thought, what in the world, somebody's lost. <laughs> I was right, but I was right in a way I didn't realize. And Amy just happened to be outside and she talked to them for a second and they left. I thought maybe they needed directions. And, Jesus, and Amy came in and said, Hey, those were the Jehovah's Witnesses. I told them that they probably should just ease on down the road because uh, they didn't have time to fool with you today. And I laughed. But what made me think of that was we were singing Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And it says, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. And I thought about those men that they cannot sing that song because they do not believe that Jesus Christ is God-made flesh. And they cannot worship Jesus this morning because they think he is a mere man and not the Lord God of heaven. They have no share, no place, and no right in the city of God. And it's sad. If you go out there and preach this gospel, you will offend those men. You will offend others who don't believe Jesus. Just this morning I was reading something that someone had wrote, a very encouraging thing about the incarnation of the Lord. And the very first comment of it was, Jesus probably wasn't even a historical figure. I wonder if you could prove to them that Jesus was the historical figure that he is, if they would then become a Christian. Why are they pushing so hard against the fact that one of the most attested lives in antiquity whether or not he is real. Why the distraction? Why when they claim that Jesus Christ is the Emmanuel, God with us, would they say he's not a real person? 
It's because they're doing everything in their depraved heart and mind to push away the truth that Jesus Christ is king. And if we continue to play those games with people who don't want to believe, we will not reach those who have not heard. And we will be distracted from our own mission. There are some who need to do these apologetics, but what they need to remember is this. The goal is the rebuilding of the hearts of God's people and to reach those who are lost and will listen. That's how... Nehemiah dealt with opposition. That's how we should deal with it. The world will call us all sorts of things if we love Jesus, his gospel, and obey his command. And they will make us feel outnumbered. They will make us feel dumb. And they will make us feel like we are ancient, uh, making ancient blunders of some ancient religion that has no place in modern life. They're puffed up like toad frogs in their pride. And the Word of God says that everything in their heart and their seared conscience is doing their best to suppress the truth in unrighteousness. We know this. Don't play their game. A wise leader knows how to deal with opposition. So let's bring this home for us. Nehemiah had the same goal as we do. He prayed, Nehemiah chapter 1, Lord God, we have sinned. I have sinned against you. My father's people have sinned against you. We have sinned against you in such a way that you brought home your promise. You said, if you sin against me, I will scatter you to every place, every corner of the earth. We know that. But you've also said, Lord, that if we repent and seek your face, that you will gather from the four corners of the earth your people and bring them to your city. And Israel is a small shadow of the reality to come, that if God's people will seek the face of the Lord, that his people are scattered in every tongue and tribe and nation. And if we will do his will and do his work, then he will gather that people to himself. And that is our goal. Not building buildings or building names for ourselves, but going into the world and praying that God will gather his people to himself. This Christmas, I love we give presents. I love Christmas. Love it. Not everyone knows what I know about Christmas. Not everyone knows what you know about Christmas. They may know, but they don't know. We want them to know. We want their hearts to be full of joy at the knowledge that Christ came to save sinners and that they were one that he came to save. And know the joy of not only that God loves them with an everlasting love that he also forgives them of all of their sins. Washed clean. That's what we want. So don't be distracted. Don't get caught in that. Be patient. Be patient. We've said it a bunch from the pulpit. You've heard it and know it, but it is truly my desire that we do something here that not only changes our people in our city, but all over the world. And I do believe we can do it if we don't get distracted, if we don't let the enemy discourage us, and if we keep plowing. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we ask this morning that you will be